Acts chapter 27, we are two away from finishing the book of Acts. Isn't that crazy? Just so you know, um, yeah, there's Acts 27, there's Acts 28, and I don't know if you guys know this or not, but there's actually an Acts 29, um, and uh, it's, it's here and it's now. It's here and it's now. That chapter's still being written, and you're a part of it, okay? So if you think like, oh, the book of Acts is ending, it's not ending. It hasn't ended. That hasn't ended. When the rapture happens, that's the end of the book of Acts, okay? So, yeah, we're coming to the close of this story following the Apostle Paul, mostly through the latter half of the book of Acts there. Um, but we're, we're going to go on an adventure with him today uh, as he's heading to Rome. Remember, he appealed to, to Caesar. He was arrested for doing nothing. Uh, he went through a handful of basically illegal trials um, where there was nothing found. There were no charges um, all the charges against him were baseless. There were no eyewitnesses that could, could back up any accusations that were made against him. It's just nonsense. It's all like nonsense. It was the Jews wanting basically Paul put to death. And, uh, but Paul's a Roman citizen. So they have no jurisdiction over him. Uh, the emperor has jurisdiction over the apostle Paul, so to speak. And so Paul knew, knew what cards to play at the right moment and says, no, I'm a Roman citizen and I appeal to Caesar. I'm done with all this nonsense. Take me to Rome. And the Lord had told Paul, you will, you will see Rome. Uh, and so now he's on that journey to Rome. And it's, it's, it's not going to be smooth sailing. Not, not, in the least bit, not in the least bit. But look, at, I mean, it's just, this, this chapter is, is uh, basically, sometimes is what our life feels like. So verse 1. I'm going to read from New Living Translation. Uh, I think that's what's going to be up there. But it says this. When the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of an army officer named Julius. He was the captain of the guard or the uh, captain of the imperial regiment. Uh, so this Julius, uh, this was his job, probably transporting prisoners. Most of these guys going on this journey with Paul are convicted and they're going up to Rome probably to more than likely to, you know, to kind of face their ex execution, more than likely, right? But they're convicted felons, they're criminals and all this good stuff. Paul's not. He's not, but he's in chains, um, and he's put on the ship with these guys, uh, and they're, gonna, they're loading up the boat, and Julius is in charge of that, and Julius is just a, he's a good guy. He's just a good, well-respected man, okay? Verse 2, Aristarchus, uh, the Macedonian from Thessalonica, was also with us. You remember Aristarchus from earlier in Acts, uh, I believe it was in Ephesus, where, where we first got, to, first got to meet him, but he, he's coming along on the journey. Uh, and, and what you also know is the, the personal pronouns there. We set sail. We know that when you see that in the book of Acts, that Luke is part of the journey now. Okay, because Luke is writing this letter. This is basically the Gospel of Luke, part two. That's what Acts is, really, because uh, Luke was writing to Theophilus, Theophilus, however you say his name. Um, and he's writing, he's, first, you know, Luke was explaining, hey, this is who, who Jesus is. This is the whole story. And here's what has happened since Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, and this church thing started. That's what Acts is. It's, a, it's just a, this is a letter to one guy. You never forget that. The book of Acts is a letter to one person. To one person. This is Luke. Now, obviously, this circulated and all this good stuff, and praise God that we have it. It's one of the most exciting books in the Bible but never forget, go back to chapter 1 and, and you have Dr. Luke writing to this man who he probably was a physician for. So that's kind of cool. This is all like one, one letter, one story that's written for one high-ranking official, okay? So Luke is writing all this stuff and he's, he's indicating, I'm part of the journey. We set sail for Italy and it was, it was Luke and it was um, uh, Aristarchus. What I appreciate about this little section right here is this. Luke and Aristarchus were not prisoners, but they went along for the journey with the prisoner, Paul. Like that should communicate to all of us. They didn't have to be there. They're not in chains. They didn't have to be there, but they were going to go with Paul. They were going to follow Paul. The Lord was using the Apostle Paul. Obviously, they recognize that. And Luke is there, and he's, you know, he, he's able to record all this stuff. You got Aristarchus who's going to show up and kind of be a personal assistant to, to Paul. He didn't have to be there. They chose to be imprisoned with Paul on the final journey of his life. That speaks volumes. 
That, speak, that should communicate volumes to us. Because they were willing to lay aside their freedom, their independence, for the sake of the kingdom. They could have been at home doing whatever they wanted to do. But obviously recognizing this is what the Lord is doing and the Lord is using the Apostle Paul right now and we're going we're gonna to be connected with that guy all the way until the end. All the way into, so loyal to him and to the kingdom work that's happening here. They were willing to lay aside whatever else they had going on for the sake of the kingdom. That's brilliant. That's beautiful. That, to me, that, that just speaks volumes. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, is the Lord moving in, in someone within your life? You know, and just, man, see how you can partner with them. The Lord, you recognize that the Lord's doing something? Well, then join in on that. Join in on it. Some of you have done that. Even with Calvary Galveston, the Lord's, the Lord's doing something here. We can't explain any of this stuff. And people show up and all this good stuff. We, it's, we don't, I'm not a good church planner, okay? I'm not. I read the books, and I don't even do half the stuff that they tell me I'm supposed to do, right? I, I just, we don't, we're not trying to figure this thing out. We're just trying to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit and say, okay, well, it's your church, it's your business. And we're just going to go where you tell us to go, and we're going to do what you tell us to do. We're just going to love on our city like you tell us to love on our city and the people of Galveston, however it is that you want us to do that. And the Lord moves. The smart thing is for, for us to just jump on board. If the Lord is moving, well, why wouldn't you jump on board with that? Lay aside whatever, and it may be just for a season. For Luke... Uh, this was really just a season because he would run with Paul until the end. Paul would lose his life, but Luke wouldn't lose his life at that moment either. So he still had a life to continue on. He still had his own call that God had for him where he was going to live that out. But why not for a season jump on board with who, somebody or something that the Lord is just obviously using? Why not be a part of that story? Why not be a part of that adventure? I mean, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to come up with something new. Just be aware of like, man, it seems like the Lord's moving here. Or the Lord's doing something there. I want to be a part of that. That's what these guys did. They're freed men who jump on a, a prisoner ship, so to speak, just so that they get to be ministers to the Apostle Paul. It, it's incredible. We, I think sometimes we just read through this stuff so quickly, and it's like, yeah, okay, they were on board. And all no, this is a prisoner ship, and these are two free guys. They chose to be there. It's amazing. So anyways, there's, there's kind of the crowd. We, it says, we left on a boat whose home port was uh, Adramitium. However you say that, I don't even know. Uh, it was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province of Asia. So it's just going to be bouncing, you know, all the way up the coast in the Mediterranean Sea there, uh, and you know what that's like. If you've ever ridden public transportation, you're like, Where, where's my stop? Oh, your stop's the last one. You're like, great. How many stops are on this thing? Oh, there's a lot. And you're like, I got to sit through each and every one of these stops. I've been on that many times, uh, and even this past week, praise God, our hotel was first on the list of our shuttle because that meant we got off first, and I didn't have to sit through everybody else's hotel and be like, come on, dude, just go. Here, let me help you off. Let me help you off, right? Just, can we just go? Um, you know, I don't sit still well. Um, so this boat is just one where it's like, stop, 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 you know, just bouncing from port to port, all right? All up the coast of Asia, obviously, I think you guys understand when it says Asia, it's talking about Asia Minor, which would be modern-day Turkey, okay? Just so you understand that. Verse 3, the next day we docked at Sidon, Julius was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit with friends so they could provide for his needs. That's very nice. Not, not every guy is going to do that for a prisoner, but obviously, if he reads through the letter, he's like, well, this guy's innocent. There's no, nothing's been brought up against this guy. So yeah, Paul, you need to go see your friends and be ministered to from whatever church is there in, in this city, have at it. Go be blessed. That's pretty cool of this guy to do that because he's not going to do that for all the other prisoners. But he obviously he recognizes that there's something different about Paul. So he got to go off. He got to meet, meet up with brothers and sisters there within that city, Sidon, which again just tells you, you can go anywhere in this world. If you're a Christian, you can go anywhere in this world and you'll find friends and family. 
It's, amaz- it's the most phenomenal thing. One of the most phenomenal things about Christianity that I've discovered is I don't care where I go, I can run into other Christians and there's a connection there that you just really can't explain. And, and it, it's amazing. So here's Paul. He's on his way to Rome, gets to get off the boat. He's blessed by these guys, but it's real quick. Get your stuff, get back on. Verse 4, putting out to sea from there, we encountered headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. So we sailed north of Cyprus between the island and the mainland. So this is just hints of what's to come, all right? The journey to Rome. They get off, they, they get off for a second, get back on, and then they're wake, making their way up the coast, and immediately the winds start to come against them. Verse 5, we pass along the coast of the province of Cilicia and Pamphylia, landing in Myra in the province of Lycia. There, the officer found an Egyptian ship from Alexandria that was bound for Italy, and he put us on board. So here you have an Egyptian grain ship, because Italy, and and more specifically Rome at this point in time, was uh, importing most of their grain from Alexandria in Egypt. So you have these huge ships that, I mean, that's all they did. They weren't stopping at every port, because these are cargo ships, so to speak, and they're going from Alexandria, and yeah, they'd have to stop off every so often, but not at every single port city. So you can understand Julius, the guy who's in charge of all these prisoners, who's like, he's like me. He's like, this, this, this ain't going to make, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I got all these prisoners. I got to get all these guys back to Rome. Um, and we need, we just, we need something that's not going to stop at every single port. And we need something bigger that can handle these winds. And so they, they jump onto this, and it's, it's basically, it's a Roman-owned, uh, for the most part, ship, right? Uh, it has its own private owner and all that good stuff, but it's basically, it transports grain from Alexandria to Rome. It's a big boat. Let's get on that dude, okay? All sounds good. And you're like, is this just like a travel log? Like, what, what is this? this is, is there something in here for me? Yes, there is, trust me. But this is the buildup of like, going from here where the Lord has you to where the Lord has told you you're going to go. And this is one of the most revealing um, chapters of the Bible concerning your life and your journey. You might be here and the Lord has told you, I'm going to get you to here. Chapter 27 of Acts says, oh yeah, by the way, it's not going to be smooth sailing. Just so you know, okay? So you might be looking at this like, well, this is like travel log day one and all this stuff. You're like, what is the point of this? Luke is just laying it out. He's like, look, this, this, is how, this is how our journey was, but this is how your journey more than likely is going to be following Jesus. So he got this Egyptian ship from Alexandria, put on board, verse 7. We had several days of rough sailing. Huh, yeah, that sounds about, that sounds about right. 20 years walking with Jesus, several days of rough sailing is what it feels like sometimes. And after great difficulty, we, neared, uh, we finally neared uh, Nidus. I see you see, but it's silent, so it's okay, all right? So, Nidus. But the wind was against us, so we sailed down to uh, the leeward side of Crete, past the Cape of Salmone, or if that's how you say that. We struggled along the, along the coast with great difficulty, finally arrived at Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. We had lost a lot of time. See, there's the keys. That's where it starts to kind of play out. You can tell by the, the, the tense of it that the stress is building. This boat's not fast enough. Find a bigger boat. Got the bigger boat. This, we can't, we're, they're, they're sailing at the wrong time too, let me just say. They're sailing at the wrong time. This is late October after the feast. You don't sail like this in the wintertime. You just don't do it. It's not smart. But they're like, we got this grain, it's got to get to Rome. We got these prisoners, they got to go to Rome. We're going to get there. And I don't care what it takes to get there, we're going to get there. And so the frustration is mounting. It's mounting. We lost a lot of time, which means this, we had lost a lot of money. We lost a lot of time, a lot of money, stress levels are high. The weather's getting worse. It says the weather is becoming dangerous for long voyages by then because it was so late in the fall. Uh, and that's where your reference is to the, the feast that had, uh, had, just, had just finished up. So this is indicating to us it's at the end of October. At the end of October. You got, you know, it's, you, you want to get all your sailing done before then. 
And certainly, you don't want to be selling it after October because that's when it becomes very perilous in one sense, the weather. So here's Paul. Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Verse 10, he says, sirs, he said, I, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, injuries, and danger to our lives. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened uh, more to the, cap the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. And since Fair Havens was a, an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go to Phoenix, not Arizona, but Phoenix, there in the Mediterranean. Um, Phoenix, we love you, but I don't want to go to Phoenix either, okay? Um, it's too hot. Uh, it's too hot. Here I am in, in South Texas. It's too hot. Um, I'm sorry, but when it's like 110 at 8 a.m. in the morning, I'm like, I can't do that. Um, all right. And it cools down to, you know, 98. Um, I love people in Phoenix. Uh, anyways, um, Phoenix there in the Mediterranean, um, they wanted to go there because it's a bigger port. They're like, dude, we're not going to stay at uh, Safe Haven. That's, that's lame, okay? Number one, when the winter storms come in, it takes the brunt of that. So they're like, it, it's the worst place to be. And it's a small port. We want to go to where it's a bigger port, where it'd be nice to spend a couple of months because that's what they're going to have to do is spend a few months. So Fair Havens was exposed, a poor place to spend the winter. Most of the crew wanted to go to Phoenix, farther up the coast of Crete, and spend, to, spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only a southwest and northwest exposure. So it's ideal. It's perfect, right? Uh, so like, look, if we're going to have to camp out for a few months, let it be Phoenix. Let it be Phoenix. But here's Paul. He's like, hey, guys, um, this, this isn't going to end well. This isn't going to end well. I can foresee, I have a premonition maybe, this isn't going to go the way you think it's going to go. The ship is going to go down. I'm like, well, who do you think you are? He's like, oh, I don't know, just a dude who's been shipwrecked three times. He's like, I think I know what I'm talking about because I've been in three of these things. They don't want to listen to this little Jewish man who's a prisoner. They don't want to hear him out. He knows what he's talking about because, again, he has been shipwrecked several times. And he's the only one with common sense on a boat full of people where he's like, um, this doesn't seem like a good idea. And, of course, the Roman uh, officer, he has no, you know, he has no say in, the, in it at all. It really is up to the captain and the person who owns the boat. And, of course, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? This boat's the best boat. This is an unsinkable boat, right? Nothing is going to sink this thing. We know what we're doing. The captain, I'm an experienced captain. I know more about, you know, sea, sea life than you do. We're going to keep on going. And they convince the Roman officer, like, no, 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 trust us. We know what we're doing. We got this under control. We will get you there. And Paul's like, no, you won't. No. Yeah, Okay. I, I said my piece, and this is kind of a good, a good little reminder too. It is perfectly fine for you to throw your two cents in, but then you also need to know when to back away, okay? You're, if you get a little, a little nudge, a little notion or something inside you, maybe it's a, a premonition or the Holy Spirit's saying something like, hey, you need to speak up, you need to say something, say your business. But if nobody hears you, you might just say, okay, you know, I'm just going to trust the Lord on this one. We're just going to trust the Lord on this one, and I'm, gonna, I, I'm not going to say anymore. There's, there's definitely wisdom within that. We think like, oh, no, no, Paul, I mean, come on, man, raise a ruckus. Like, raise a ruckus, beat down the captain's door and be like, no, listen to me. What good is it going to do? They're not going to listen. But there will come a moment where they do listen. So the best advice is really is to follow Paul's example where it's like, hey, um, I see this going south, and I'm just going to let you know that right now. I, I think we're headed for disaster. I think we're headed for disaster. Be quiet. Go sit down. You don't know what you're talking about. Cool. Okay. All right. I'm not running away, but I'll be here because I'm on a boat with you guys. But when it does go down, be the first person who steps up to lead. They may not listen to you the first time, but there will come a moment where you're the only one speaking common sense, where you're the only one 
who seems to have a clear head about what's going on when everything is falling apart. Don't get offended. Say your business and then back away. That's all. So we think we got to be like aggressive and no, no, I'm going to, no, no, no. Just say your business and then back away and just leave it in the Lord's hands. The ship will go down. It's going down. Be the first person to step up when it's going down, though. That's what Paul does. He knows these guys, they're, they're prideful. They're probably pretty arrogant. They've done this a thousand times. A thousand times. But they never had this guy on board with them. They've never had this guy on board with them. So here they are. They're going to press on. Uh, they're going to press on. Verse 13. This is where, the, this is where our story uh, takes a turn. When a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. So they're like, oh, look, see? Told you so, Paul. Told you so. If we would have stayed, we would have missed the breeze and all that good stuff. And he's like, well, all right. <laughs> you know, good luck. Um, so they were tricked. It was that, like that moment where Mother Nature's like, gotcha. Um, it's like, yeah, come on out. Come on out to play in the water. And then, boom, it's, it, here's, here, comes a, here comes a hurricane. They thought they could make it, so they pulled up anchor and they sailed close to the shore, but the weather, uh, or along close to the shore, but the weather changed abruptly and a wind of typhoon strength. That's technically, that's the word that's being used there. It's, um, I don't know what your New King James may say, a strong uh, uh, easterly wind or something like that. Northe- it's a northeastern wind is what it is. Um, but technically, it's, it's a typhoon. This is like a hurricane. This is a hurricane that just sprung up from nowhere. Can you imagine what these sailors thought? They're like, they're setting sail. They got this nice, cool, southerly breeze, which is perfect for the way that they're going. The wind's at our back. Smooth sailing. That crazy man, he tried to talk us out of leaving. And as soon as they get out, probably into the middle, hurricane. (laughs) Storm. Storm of all storms. An epic storm. I mean, this is, this is insane how long this storm lasts, okay? So let's just, let's read through this. Kind of keep in mind that we're, we're not talking about multiple storms. We're talking about one singular storm. It changed abruptly. The wind of typhoon strength, the northeastern, they called it, caught the ship and blew it out to sea. The last place they wanted to go was out into the middle of the sea. They couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed behind a small island named uh, Cada, or Clada. It's two, you can use two different words there. Where the, with great difficulty we hoisted abroad uh, or aboard the lifeboat that was being towed behind us. They got a little dinghy behind them. They're like bringing that dude on the boat because it, that's just being tossed around like crazy, and that's going to destroy the ship. So they had to bring that aboard. They have no control over the ship at all. None. And in fact, they end up like 20 miles south of where they want to go, which it takes them about all day to go 40 miles. So not only are they caught up in the storm, but it's, it's driving them the opposite way in which they wanted to go. And the stress levels are intensifying. The cortisol levels within each and every individual are through the roof. They're stressed out and they're panicking and they're trying with all their strength, with all their might. To survive a storm. I, I don't know like, what it was like for you guys before Jesus, but this was my life. With all my strength, with all my might, just trying to survive storms that I, there's just no way in the world I could ever survive. This is a great picture of the world. Because notice the, the, the activity from them. It's just like, I mean, doing everything that they know to do in order just to survive. So they're, they're trying to make their way. They're trying to find little ends and staying close to a shore and all that good stuff, trying to find some breaks within the, the strong winds that they find themselves in the midst of. Um, so it goes on, verse 7, we banded, uh, we banded the ship with ropes to strengthen the hull. So they, they, I mean, they feel like the, the ship is, I mean, it's shifting and it's buckling and it's just, I mean, this is it. Like this thing's going to, it's just going to fall apart. So they're doing everything that they can to secure this thing. The sailors were afraid of being driven across the sandbars of uh, Syrtis 
off the African coast. So they lowered the sea anchor and were thus driven before the wind. So they're like, well, maybe we could slow ourselves down. Throw off the anchors, right? At least slow us down. The next day, a gale force winds continued to batter the ship. The crew began throwing cargo over the board. This is how you know it gets bad. Is when the captain of the ship, he knows, like, I've already lost time and time is money. And now it's like, well, if we're going to survive, we need to throw all this wheat, all this grain, toss it overboard. There goes all that money. Then the, that's the owner of the ship who's like, uh, probably looking at the captain, like, dude, you're not getting paid for this one. Um, I hope you know that. Like, if we make it out, that's enough, right? Because they all know, like, we're not, nobody's coming out ahead on this deal. Toss all the, lighten the load, lighten the load, throw everything over. The following day, um, they even threw out the ship's equipment and anything else they could lay their hands on. The terrible storm raged unabated for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. Isn't it amazing that the Lord allowed this storm to rage? until all hope was gone. Until all hope was gone. Until all strength was depleted. Until, until all wisdom and knowledge and expertise had reached its limit. They threw out all the stuff. And if it wasn't screwed down to the boat, it was thrown overboard. It's just an empty vessel. That's all it is now. And the storm raged, and the storm raged, and it raged until all hope was lost. It's amazing how the Lord will do that sometimes within our lives. You find yourself in the midst of a storm, and you're begging for God to bring deliverance. But yet, in the same hand, you're fighting like crazy to try to figure it out on your own strength. So you're praying like, God, please take this from me. But in the same time, you're, you're trying to figure out within your mind how you can get past this storm. How clever you can be. How you can tough it out. If I just do this and if I just do this. Yeah, Lord, I want you to deliver me from the storm. I trust you with this. But while I'm trusting you over here with this, I'm trying to figure this thing out on my own. And the Lord's like, go for it. I'll turn off the switch when you're ready. When you realize your hope is in me. I'm the only hope you have. Hope will always remain. I mean, that's, again, that's why it's on my arm permanently. Because hope still remains. Hope always remains. Why? Because he's still on the throne. He's still in charge. He's in control. But there are times, if we're honest, as Christians where the Lord will allow storms into your life and will let them continue to rage in your life until you and I come to the realization, I cannot do this. I have no more hope in myself. I have no more hope in my strength. I have no more hope within my intellect. Jesus, you're all I have. And he says, perfect, that's exactly where I want you. That's exactly where I want you. Quit fighting. Quit fighting. You're planning, you're scheming, you're doing all this stuff, and you're stressing yourself out. You, it's no, wor no wonder you probably have, you have ulcers and high blood pressure and things like that. We're just fighting, we're fighting, we're fighting, just trying to, what, to survive the storms. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm your hope. I'm your hope. You might be strong. You might be smart. You may be the bravest person in the room. But he's your only hope. We're, we're dealing with sailors that don't even know the Lord, but praise God, there are three dudes on the boat that do. And all hope was lost for the sailors, but not all hope was lost for the three guys on board. And this is your moment to shine. This is your moment to shine. Pay attention to the people who live around you, pay attention to the ones who don't know the Lord who are going through difficult storms. We endured one of the most difficult storms in recent history with last year. 
what we needed, what the Christians and what the church should have been aware of or in tune with is our lost friends and family members who got to the place where no hope remained. So then that's when we step in. That's when we shine the brightest. You don't lose hope during the storm because you trust in Jesus. But you might be on a boat full of unsaved individuals who have lost all hope. And you, might be, you may have been placed on that boat. Paul as a prisoner, Luke and Aristarchus uh, as volunteers on that vessel to shine in the darkest of times. This storm blotted out the sun and the stars. They, there's no navigational points at all. They would go by the sun, the stars, and all that stuff. They're gone. There, there's no direction for these guys. It's all clouded over. It's the same for the people that you care about within your life, your friends and your family members who don't know the Lord Jesus. It's dark. There's no sun. There's no stars. There's no life until you and I step into their life and we are reflectors of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We are reflectors of him. So we step into that. We don't run away from their messes. We don't abandon ship. We stay on board so that we shine for those who need Jesus right then and there. Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus, they're going to heaven. They could have been like, peace out. We're throwing ourselves overboard, and if we die, we're in heaven. We don't lose in this story. But they didn't do that. They stayed on the boat. They endured the storm. They, it doesn't tell us this, but I'm assuming based off of if Acts chapter 16, which, where Paul and Silas, I believe, were in Philippi, and they got beaten like crazy and were locked up in a dungeon. And in the darkest part of the dungeon, lying on their backs with their feet in the stocks, were singing worship songs. The only prisoner singing worship songs. I would imagine, as the storm is raging, were they nervous? Were they concerned? They're human beings. Of course they were. But I would like to think that they're probably singing some songs during this storm. It's always good, man. Music is so therapeutic. Uh, it, it just really is. I don't, I don't know what it is about music, but I mean, you got a good chunk of your Old Testament. It's all songs. I mean, the Psalms, those are songs written by David. One, one of the, like the most messed up guys in the world. That dude was like so depressed at times and uh, just crazy. But he's writing songs. Why was he writing songs? Because songs are therapy. Singing can be therapeutic for your soul. Sing worship songs. I had one of my mentors. That's what he, he told me. He's like, he's like, James, you're getting too, just you're letting the stress mess with, mess with you too much, man. He's like, sing worship songs. Just sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. He's like, it'll do wonders for your heart and for your mind. You find yourself in the midst of a storm, sing some songs. So here they are. Everybody's a wreck. Everybody's sick, I'm sure, because they're seasick and all that good stuff. Verse 21, no one had eaten for a long time. Of course they haven't. How are they going to eat? They're like fighting for survival, right? They're in the midst of a storm, a massive, crazy storm. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bible, thank you. Paul's like, told you so. And you're like, yes, yes, okay. Now, don't play that card all the time, okay? Don't. That's annoying. We get it, you know? Nobody likes that guy, okay? But there's times where you're like, hey, you should have listened to me. Told you so. Okay, well, here he is. He calls them together. You should have listened to me in the first place and not left Fair Havens. You would have avoided all this injury and loss. Verse 22, but take courage. Be encouraged. Don't lose heart. Don't be afraid. Most common command in the scriptures, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. This can be taken as that. But take courage. Be of good courage. Wait, he's preaching a message of hope to people who have no hope. That's exactly what they needed. 
None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. That's a bold statement. Because for these guys, when the ship goes down, sailors lose their lives. This is dangerous. It's dangerous work. And here's this Jew, who's a Roman citizen. He's able to gain all their attention and all their focus in the midst of a storm. They've lost hope. What else are they going to do? You can't throw anything else over. He's like, you won't lose your lives. Not a hair on your head will be harmed. That's a Jewish way of saying everything is going to be okay. You're going to be okay. He's like, but the boat will go down. For last night, 23, an angel of God to whom I belong, whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety for everyone sailing with you. This is God. This is mercy on the saved and the unsaved. Okay? This is phenomenal. Here's God. He's like, look, Paul, as long as they're connected to you, with you, you're going to be okay. The ship may go down, but they won't lose their lives. This doesn't mean they get to go to heaven, so don't take it like that. Because you don't go into heaven on anybody else's curtails or, or whatever. you got to go in on your own. That's between you and Jesus. He doesn't ask you, so tell me about your mom and dad. Tell me about your grandpa who started that church and did all that stuff. It's not what he's asking you. Your name's either written in the book of life or it's not, okay? But on this journey, those who are with, if they stick with you, Paul, they'll be okay. But this is amazing. In, the, in this crazy time, here's an angel. God sends an angel, a messenger, to speak to Paul and to encourage him. Maybe he was afraid. Because again, why would the, the Bible doesn't waste words, Maybe Paul was afraid. Again, and we've seen this comment throughout Paul where the Lord will show up on, very, on the, the darkest part of the night. The Lord shows up and, and speaks a word of encouragement to him. Do not be afraid. You will surely stand before trial or stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety for everyone sailing with you. So take courage for I believe God. This is Paul talking to the sailors. It will be just as he said. Now, you need to underline that within your Bible. You need to put a star next to that within your Bible. It's okay to write in your Bibles. You should write all over these things to where you can't read them anymore and then go buy another one and do the same thing all throughout the rest of your life. Mess up this book, so to speak. It should be falling apart like half of mine. I mean, this thing is barely holding together. You should write that down. I believe God. It will be just as he said. You're going to make it? You're going to make it. Will it be smooth sailing? He never said that. He never said that. But he did say you would make it. You'll make it. Verse 26, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. And here's the shipwreck. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, two weeks long this storm is. Two weeks long. Do not miss that. What storm lasts two weeks? Are you kidding me? Two weeks. Now you're like, well, I've been in this storm for several months now. I'm like, I get that. I'm talking like practically, you know, weather-wise and all that. This is a two-week-long storm. My goodness. I think this storm is supernatural. I think this storm is supernatural. I think the storm was exactly what these sailors needed. I think the storm is exactly what the Apostle Paul needed and Luke and Aristarchus. We don't want the storms, but we need the storms. We don't want the storms, but we need the storms. I don't like saying it. I don't like living that. But how else are you going to get stronger? 
how else are you going to get stronger in, your, in trusting in Jesus? You, you know as well as I do, if it's smooth sailing within my walk with Jesus, I just don't trust him anymore. I've been there many times. You know my story. You know I'm in Galveston because I got to that place where I could do ministry without Jesus. I could. I could plan sermons. I could get up and teach. I could do that. I could lead a youth group and do camps and all that stuff. I could do that. I've been doing it for 13 years. And then praise God, Jesus came alongside me and says, yeah, but how about you just do it with me? Let's go on, a, let's go on an adventure. Get ready for the storm. Get ready for the storm. We need this because we go through seasons of this where it's like it's smooth and it's like I just don't, it's not that I don't trust him anymore, but I just don't, I don't know. I'm not praying as much as I should be. I'm not relying on him as much as I should be. I shared this with you guys before. Um, actually, I didn't even think I shared it with you, Justin, at, at our lunch. Um, I was listening to a podcast, and uh, this fitness guy was talking about um, walking. And we want smooth paths, but smooth paths are the worst thing for you. The absolute worst thing for you. Because you get so accustomed to the smoothness of the road that you're walking on. And then when life throws you a curve and that smooth path isn't in there anymore, now you've got to go over a rocky terrain. Most elderly people fall and break their hips because they're so accustomed to the smooth paths. And they're not used to having to adjust for the terrain of stepping up or stepping down and unlevel ground and all that stuff. Practically speaking, I mean, that's just, that's smart. That makes sense. Spiritually speaking, that makes a lot of sense. We want the smooth path. Give me the smooth path. The Bible tells us that that smooth path that's really broad leads to destruction. Narrow is the way. Narrow is the way. And the, the idea behind that is, it's, it's a, man, it's a journey. It's an up and down. You need to be watching where you step. Watch where you step because you never know. You don't want to slip. You don't want to roll an ankle. You don't want to, you don't want to do all that stuff. You just need to be aware each step each step because when you're on the smooth path you don't pay attention to anything you're just going the rocky terrain is what strengthens us it's what strengthens us the storms we don't like them be honest nobody's walking around saying like man i just wish the lord would send a storm in my life nobody because we're not crazy i don't think right you're, you're we're not crazy nobody wants those we're not inviting those but all throughout the bible Go back into the Gospels. There were several times where these fishermen, experienced fishermen, were caught in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. It's not the Mediterranean Sea. It's a Sea of Galilee. You can see from one shore to the other shore. Now, I know it's pretty deep and all that good stuff, and there's storms that come up and all that. But, I mean, come on. If you go down, I'm like, can't you at least swim halfway to where you can kind of start touching? I mean, I would think so. Maybe not. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. I've been on it three times. And I look across, and I'm like, well... I mean, it's really long this way, but it's not that long that way. But the storms would come on that, and they're, they're pretty epic storms. And either Jesus is asleep in the boat, or he's not even in the boat, but he's walking to him on the water. And every time he's like, why, why are you guys so worried? Why are you guys afraid? Here's another storm, and the Lord tells Paul, by way of an angel, don't be afraid. You're going to be okay. You'll get to where I want you to go. You're going to get to where I want you to go. So 14 days in the storm, driven across the Sea of Adria, the, the Adriatic Sea there. Um, not modern Adriatic Sea, in case you're a geography buff and all that good stuff. This is the Adria Sea, so this is a totally different place. But regardless, do your own, do your own study and your own, hist your own work there. But uh, it's, this, is, this is right within the heart of where, the, where they've been on track, okay? Just trying to fight for their lives. The sailors since the land was near. Right? So maybe they can hear the, uh, the waves breaking, which is a good sound. Uh, today might be some good waves, guys. Um, you probably already missed them. Um, you're like, church, darn. Um, hey, it's okay. But they could hear the waves crashing, okay? Um, they took soundings and found that the water was only uh, 120 feet deep, okay? And then later, a little later, they did another sounding and found it was 90 feet deep. 
okay, or fathoms, right? They're, they're doing all that good stuff. And we're getting closer. It says at this rate, they knew they, knew they were close. They're, they were afraid they'd be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Now the sailors are praying, right? They heard a message from Paul. Well, I don't know what happened, but now these dudes are praying. Something must have happened. Something must have happened. Now they're praying for daylight. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out the anchors uh, from the prow. They're trying to be sneaky. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you will all die unless those guys stay on the boat. Okay, so that ended that little thing. Um, Verse 32, so the soldiers cut the ropes and let the boat fall off. As the darkness gave way to the early morning light, Paul begged everyone to eat. You, you haven't touched food for two weeks. He said, please eat something now for your, for your own good, for not a hair on your, head, your heads will perish. Then he took some bread. He gave thanks to God before them all and broke off a piece and, and ate it. And everyone was encouraged. And all 276 of us began eating, 276 people on this boat. The, the strength is returning, all that good stuff. But that was the number we had on the uh, had aboard. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat. This is the last of it overboard. When the morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach, and they wondered if they could get between the rocks and get the ship safely to the shore. So they cut off all the anchors, left them in the sea, and they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, headed toward the shore. They're going to run this dude into the into the shore. Okay, they're going to make it. However. Uh, the, the ship hit a shoal and ran aground, and the bow of the ship struck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill all the prisoners. <laughs> they're like, we're not going to let these dudes get away. We've got to kill them, because if they escape, then we die. That's how it worked back then. Um, but Paul steps in. The commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Because remember, if everybody was with Paul, they would all be okay. He ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make it for the land. And he told the others to, to try, uh, try for it on planks and debris from the broken ship. So everyone escaped safely ashore. And yes, surfing was invented there. Look at the, the Bible's so good. Oh, it's true. Look at that. Nobody else was doing this back then. You know, the Hawaiians weren't doing this yet, I don't think, anyways. This is 80, you know, 60, or not, not even then yet. They're grabbing planks and they're like surfing. Um, but it's true. Here's, here's the deal. The storm raged. And at the right time, the Apostle Paul stood up with a message of hope. What, did it mean they, they were going to come to a port safely and all that stuff? Not at all. Not at all. The ship was still going to go down. But they were going to cling tightly to Paul. And Luke and Aristarchus, we could say all three of them, because for some reason, all three of those guys were lights that were shining in the midst of darkness. They were the only ones who seemed to have hope when there was no more hope. And everybody made it ashore. They will make it to Rome. We'll see this next week as they, they make it to Rome. The journey's not over. The adventure's not over. And the trials and the tribulations, none of that is over yet because there's still a snake in the story. But God was true to his word. I know it's a lot of journey and a lot of this and that and boats and all that gets. God was true to his word. He told Paul, I will get you there. And as long as all these guys stick with you, you'll all make it to Rome. You'll all make it to Rome. And I would hope just to encourage each and every one of you guys as well. Just go back to what he has said. What has God said? Cling tightly to what he has said. When will you make it through the storm? I don't know. I don't know. How will you come out of that storm? I don't know. I have no clue. When, all that is between you and the Lord, I would just say this, cling tightly to what he has already said. That's it. And when the moment is, the moment comes, you stand and you shine bright for those who need it the most. That's why you're here. That's why you're alive. That's your purpose, to be a reflector of him, to be a hope bearer in a hopeless world. So be aware, Christians, don't go running and hiding. Don't abandon ship. 
do not do that. You stand up. And through the grace of God, you shine brightly. You shine brightly. So I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray. Billy, you want to run up here? Because can I pray for you? Sad day. This is, I, I've been, you know, I, I was on vacation. I'm like, oh, man, Sunday's coming now. And gotta, Billy's going to move to Missouri. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, he's heading up there. Uh, he's got lots of acres. So if you want to go and visit him, you can. Um, he hasn't invited. I just invited you. Um, yeah, we're going to be like by Branson. Branson. Yeah, yeah you can't beat that, right? So, mountains. mountains, beautiful. Uh, the lake is right there and all that good stuff. But so I'm going to pray for Billy because you guys know, um, man, a lot of our history is started with the Lord doing a work in his. I get a call from some guy <laughs> says, hey, I think I'm supposed to come to Galveston and be part of a church. And we had a Christian surfer's Bible study. Jay, who's the associate pastor at Coastal, myself, and a couple other guys. And we just, gosh, it went on for about a year. Um, and... Uh, this guy shows up with his wife, and we're, we're, we can't find him a house. I mean, there's no houses to rent. And we run into Tanner Smith. They run into Tanner Smith from Calvary Chapel, Houston, on the seawall. The last day, we were all kind of discouraged, and that's how the house opened up. That's how it happened, yeah. Yeah, and everything else has just been so. I can't wait to come. I'll be here about every six weeks to see my dad. And uh, oh, I'm going to probably cry today. But the, the, to see this is. And him and everything, it's so cool. Thank you, Billy. And it's just so cool. Yeah. Thanks. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I pray for Billy, and I'm just grateful for him, and Lord, the journey that you've had him on for, uh, for a while, and Lord, from Galveston and Texas to California and all over, and uh, Lord, just, just everything. The journey's not over for him. And so I, I'm grateful, Lord, that he is... Um, Lord, he's still clinging tightly to you, Jesus, and I pray that you would just bless him and amaze him up there in Missouri, uh, and just to communicate and show him, Lord, that uh, the story's not over between you and him yet, and you still have so many things uh, ahead of ahead of him and, and how you want to use him, and so we're grateful for him and just the foundational role he was within Calvary Galveston and still is within Calvary Galveston, Lord, and so I, I just pray blessings upon Billy, and man, just I, I pray that you, he would never cease to be wowed and amazed by how awesome and how faithful you are, Jesus, and so I'm grateful for this brother here who is, uh, it means become more than not a friend, not a friend. He's a brother, and so um, just, just love that, Lord, and, and again, Pray for safe travels uh, with the packing and, and getting from here to there and all that good stuff, Lord. Uh, just blessings all along the way there, Lord Jesus. And again, we're, we're all running this race with our eyes fixed on you. And um, Lord, even if there's no revisits or anything, we know what, we know what lies ahead and uh, an eternity together with each other, but more importantly with you, Jesus. And so uh, we just pray for him. Bless him, Lord Jesus. And we're just grateful, Lord. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.